This is Miss Val, the author of Life is Short, Don't Wait to Dance, and I am on After the Glory with Gary Stern and Lucy Sang. Hey, this is James Loney on After the Glory with Gary Stern and Lucy Sang. Hi, this is Derek Cox, and it's been a pleasure being here on After the Glory with Gary Stern and Lucy Sang. What do Hall of Fame gymnastics coach Valerie Condos field? Football's Derek Cox and baseball's James Loney have in common? They all appeared on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern, and along with Lucy Sang, we thank Miss Val, Derek, and James for helping us kick off another season of conversations with elite athletes who prove once again that the traits of personality and character that made them elite athletes are the same ones that allow them to establish lives of meaning and purpose once their playing days are over. Lucy and I created this podcast because we are admirers of elite athletes and the challenges they face in making that often difficult transition at a young age to new challenges. After all, imagine the commitment, often since childhood, it takes to become the best in a sport, but then the realization that your time at the top of the mountain is so fleeting. So much of your life is ahead of you. What Lucy and I have found is that these elite athletes are elite people with stories we know you will find inspiring. We hope you enjoy this edition of After the Glory. And here we are on another edition of After the Glory uh, with uh, Lucy Seng, my co-host and co-creator of our show. This is Gary Stern, and we have a very special guest today in our continuing series on elite athletes who graduated from that little school in Westwood called UCLA. Mr. Jeff Locke, uh, who is a young man at the age of 32, having left the sport of his elite status uh, to conquer the world of financial services. Uh, Jeff uh, played college ball at UCLA and then in the NFL with the Minnesota Vikings and a couple of other teams. Um, uh, interestingly enough, Jeff simply cannot be beat when it comes to uh, his career at UCLA. And then uh, with the Vikings, uh, uh, Jeff was a elite punter, not a position that people necessarily associate with all aspects of football, but let's face it. If you don't have the best punter that you can possibly have, you're not a winning team. And Jeff is an example of somebody who made his team a winning team. Jeff Locke, it's great to have you on after the glory. Great to be here, Gary. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, it's we we consider Jeff an elite athlete to be anybody who, uh, in the sport of their choice, gets to a level that very few ever get to who play Pop Warner or Little League or anything else. That's an elite athlete. And on the other hand, it's interesting about you and about the, the work of a punter. If you walk down the street, I'll bet you nobody mistakes you for a football player. You, you, you have a slight build, uh, very handsome, and, and does not show the scars of a life playing football. How did you get involved in the sport and particularly in punting? Well, Gary, first, I should say that most people don't recognize football players to begin with because they're not wearing helmets. So. Oh, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> yeah, I, I, would get, I would get spotted every once in a while in Minnesota just because there's really good fans up there. But the beauty of coming out to L.A. every offseason, no one knew who the heck I was, even when I was 20 pounds heavier and a little bit thicker than I am now. So, yes, the anonymity is a plus of being a punter. 
it starts, I'm sure, as a child. What got you involved in football to begin with? The funny story, I played soccer my whole life. Didn't I literally did not go to a football game until my first freshman high school football game that I played in. I've never even been to a football game in my life. My middle school buddies were like, you got a really strong leg. Go try this thing out. Right? I played the freshman game on Wednesday. I was on varsity by Friday, two days later. So like, wow, wow this, kid, this kid's got a leg. Um, and it kind of just went from there, playing both soccer and football almost all of high school until I kind of realized, hey, I can go to a school like UCLA just for kicking this little pigskin thing. Um, maybe, <laughs> I'll drop the, maybe I'll drop the soccer heading into my senior year. And how did you even get on that freshman football team if it wasn't a sport that you were exposed to? Literally just friends that see me kicking, <laughs> kicking balls in the schoolyard, literally in middle school, being like, this guy's got a leg. Almost all high schools go and poach some soccer player when they need a kicker. Um, I just got poached early and it all ended up working out. Well, you know, it's interesting you know, in some of the material I saw doing research for today, uh, I noticed that uh, there's a, a story that you were attending a camp run by the legendary NFL and Oakland Raider punter Ray Guy, one of the first punters ever to be elected to the Football Hall of Fame. Tell us about that and what, what about that inspired you? Yeah, Ray Guy was, I mean, just a legend, as anyone in the punting world knows, maybe the average person doesn't know. Um, but seeing him at a camp was just like awe-inspiring for me. The even better part of the story is the next couple camps I went to were actually with Chris Saylor, who is a very famous UCLA kicker and punter. Um, and those are the camps I really committed to in high school to refine my technique. And that's what actually got me introduced to the UCLA coaches and kicking in front of UCLA coaches at a camp to get the scholarship offer that I did. Well, what's interesting to me also is that kicking has undergone a kind of a metamorphosis over the last 40, 50 years. I remember when kickers like Tom Dempsey came straight up at the ball um, and yet something changed. Was it because the soccer style uh, became so synonymous with very, very long kicks as compared to what could be done before? Yeah, length and accuracy. So many people think it is just because you can kick farther, but you're actually more accurate soccer style also because if you think about your toes they are not straight across in the front whereas if you turn your foot the top of your foot is straight across so it's a flatter surface think of like a putter on a golf club hitting the ball every time versus a curved surface trying to hit it through the uprights yeah I gotta admit I would have never known to kick the ball with the side of my foot and I probably would have broke a couple of toes <laughs> Actually, I've seen it many times. Pictures of bloody, bruised toes. People oh trying to kick a field goal for the first time. Yep. Yeah, keep me off those websites. Well, <laughs> Jeff, why don't you tell us a little more about your background, your upbringing? How did your parents get involved in terms of you growing up in sports? Do you have any siblings? Sounds like your friends were very much so part of your athletic career. Yeah, um, I'm the middle of three boys, um, mm. milita military family. So that's kind of where I get a little bit of the like, stick with it. Here's the routine, stick to it day in and day out. Discipline. Uh, the, mm -hmm. the discipline side definitely comes from the military background. Um, and yeah, I just, I was the brother that wanted to beat my two brothers in every single thing that we did. Right. And then it carried, and they still probably hate me to this day for the way that I was growing up. Um, but that's kind of what started it all. Right. It started in sports and I was very lucky to also carry that over into the classroom, which a lot of people don't do that play sports. I wanted to beat everybody 
in everything, right? Amen. And it, it kind of helped me in many aspects of my life along the way. Well, let's make sure our listeners understand that uh, Jeff attended high school in Arizona and he was ranked coming out of uh, high school as the number one kicker in the nation. Recruited Jeff, uh, what was the recruiting process like? It was a crazy experience. This was back when, like I said, coaches could come to camps and kind of talk to you. There were these kind of NCAA rules. No one really knew what to do, what you couldn't do. Um, but I was able to go to one of these Chris Taylor camps and had the camp of my life. And within two days, I had seven offers from colleges just based on how I kicked out that camp. Um, and then I had a bunch of others trickle in. So I was very, very fortunate to perform like I did. This was between my junior and senior year of high school um, and kind of had schools knocking at my door rather than having to send out tape to everyone I knew trying to get get some love. Well, when we come back on After the Glory, we'll talk to Jeff about excelling not just on the field, but also in the classroom. Jeff was incredible and graduated from UCLA with a degree in economics. And let me tell you, as someone who was at UCLA the same years as Jeff, economics was one of the degrees that I signed up for and quickly changed once I realized the curriculum and its level of difficulty. So when we come back on After the Glory with Jeff Locke, this is Lucy Sang and Gary Stern. Hello, this is Dean, third generation owner of Sarah Leonard Fine Jewelers. We are located near UCLA in the heart of Westwood Village, where we have been since 1946. For 74 years, my family has stood for the highest standards of knowledge and integrity and are proud members of the prestigious American Gem Society. But it is our personal touch that truly makes us a cut above. Client relationships last for decades and generations. With six UCLA alumni, the family has supported UCLA for decades, including the famous Sarah Leonard Jewelers Watch Giveaway. For diamonds and colored gems, designer collections and estate jewelry, watches, custom design, and gorgeous gifts starting under $100, it's all here at Sarah Leonard Fine Jewelers. Mention the code GLORY and get 20% off your first purchase, plus a 10% UCLA discount on all future purchases. Call 310-208-3131 today for your appointment or visit us at sarahleonardjewelers.com. Free parking available. Again, call 310-208-3131, use the code GLORY and experience the Sarah Leonard difference for yourself. Role models, they can make all the difference. In our world today, they have never been more important. One of the nation's most successful mentoring organizations is Jewish Big Brothers Big Sisters of Los Angeles. Their mission is to assist youth in achieving their full potential through innovative and impactful programs. And no nonprofit agency does it better. Jewish Big Brothers Big Sisters of LA serves Jewish children, boys and girls in our local community with a mentoring program that's been going strong since 1915. That's only the beginning. This nationally known agency owns and operates Camp Bob Waldorf. Its summer camping and weekend retreat programs enrich the lives of youth throughout greater Los Angeles. Then there's a college support program, and last but not least, work that helps kids all over the world through the Teen Talk app. Want to learn more? Go to jbbbsla.org. Donate. Get involved. There's no better way to make a difference. And we're back on After the Glory. This is Lucy Sang with co-host Gary Stern and our special guest today, Jeff Locke. Jeff, we were just talking about, you know, the highlights of your UCLA career. Was there any one moment that stood out to you that you will remember till, you know, the end of the days and want to tell your children and grandchildren one day? Yeah, I had a rough go over when it came to that, that one game against, against USC. <sighs> so my senior year, 
we finally beat them in the Rose Bowl. And that was probably like the one moment I, I look back on as a senior, finally having the redemption after we lost 50 to nothing my junior year. You right? and me and both, had, Jeff. And having that redemption, it was just like a weight off my shoulders and I'll always remember that. And I was at the Coliseum until the very end of the zero to 50 game. So I couldn't imagine being in your shoes because I was already living in pain in the stands. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I don't think I'll ever wear all white ever again after, Never after that again. experience. Never yep. again. When it came to uh, the pros, uh, were you surprised as to where you were drafted? Were you happy with the way your first contract was negotiated? How did your transition to the pro game uh, meet with your expectations? Yeah, so I got really lucky, to be honest. My sophomore and junior years at UCLA were not that good. Even though you said my stats were pretty good, I had to really make up for it my senior year. And I really had a great senior year. So I was very fortunate for that. That propelled me into that that draft to get drafted in the fifth round by the Vikings was great. Um, actually, interesting thing is when you're a rookie in the NFL now, you don't negotiate your contract. Your first four years are determined by the CBA. Really not much for your agent to do. So you're just kind of locked in and you ride it out. Um, but I had a great four years in Minnesota. I absolutely loved it. Looking back, I wish I would have played a little better, taken a little bit more personal risk to try and stay there longer. Um, but I had a great time up in Minnesota. Well, there's an aspect to that that's sort of unusual for uh, our listeners. Um, earlier in our uh, group of shows, we had a gentleman named Chris Cluey on as our guest. And Chris was the hmm. uh, essentially the punter for the Vikings before you. How did that and I'm part of this question is deadly serious because yeah. part of that has to do with him being released and there are, and he has been public about what was going on in terms of his advocacy for social issues that may have rubbed some people in the NFL the wrong way. Uh, I assume you were not involved in that, but I assume it was awkward, at least in some respect in the transition from Chris to you uh, on the Vikings. Yeah, it was interesting. So I, physically in the locker room at the Vikings, Chris and I never overlapped. I came in at rookie minicamp when, when he wasn't there. And then by the end of rookie minicamp, they'd seen that I wasn't a total terrible punter. And then they released Chris. So then I was the only punter heading into actual minicamp that year. But funny story there is actually my senior year at UCLA, Chris came back to a game, right, and saw me kicking and tweeted something like, wow, this UCLA punter is pretty damn good. And then he waved to me on the sidelines by the kicking net. And then I end up replacing him like <laughs> months later. How like, it works, this huh? is such a weird, weird business. This is all I could think about. The UCLA guy for a UCLA guy. And have you crossed paths since? We have not. No, it's funny because we both live in California. Definitely and maybe at an alumni type. game. I know. Probably should, I probably should reach out. I'm sure him and I could tell story after story from a, uh, or overlapping lives. We'll have you both back on after the glory again. Great. <laughs> you, yeah. you did remarkably well in your time with Minnesota. And then you were, uh, uh, were you traded or released and then went to a couple other teams over the next few years? Yeah. My time at Minnesota was up and then I was a free agent. And then the Colts ended up just giving me a better offer than Minnesota for that next, for the next contract. So I went to Indianapolis, thought I was the guy. I actually had to try and replace Pat McAfee, another kind of legend of social media. Uh, so to speak. Um, and then they brought in some rookie named Rigo Sanchez, who is still one of the best punters in the NFL. And he just straight beat me out Indianapolis, which is how it works in the NFL. It's a competition. One of the things that this show is about in talking about the transition to life after 
the sport that you become a star in is this the adulation the adrenaline of playing in front of 50,000 people i would imagine cannot be beat when it comes to that sense of of just overall thrill that comes with life in general um is it something that you replace that you seek to replace when your time in the sport is over or is it something you end up missing and and takes a while to adjust to definitely an adjustment i'm not gonna sugarcoat it like I'm very big into sports psychology and there's this concept called a flow state when you're in the peak of an athletic endeavor, right? Where like you get to the peak of this sport and like, you're really the only one that knows this little mental challenge that you're having with yourself to be the best person or version of yourself you can be. Right. And that's really hard to replicate anywhere else. Right. Is that what I called flow state? And I knew it. Like when I was in a game, I would just feel it. Everything else around me melted away. You know, it was just me and the football right? For four hours. That's like pure flow state. So it's really even hard to think about something outside of the game that could replicate that. I've ridden, I ride my bike, I go play golf, I do weightlifting. You get a little taste of it, but it's never the same as it was when you played. Is it somebody else that told you your time was up or did you tell yourself? A little bit of both. Um, The phone stopped ringing. It was really the, the honest truth of it. I went to Indianapolis, went to Detroit, got released, tried out for like six teams that year, went to the 49ers, got released, tried out for like seven more teams after that, tried to play in a secondary league called the AAF, kind of like the XFL, just didn't play enough, not good enough tape to get back into the NFL. So after kind of two years of what I call being on the tryout circuit, I was like, this probably isn't going to work out. And Jeff, when you finally decided to hang your jersey up, tell us about where you were in your career outside of football yeah so when I was on my last leg as I call it that XFL AFL type team um, I was also taking CFP courses online certified financial Mm -hmm. planner courses to do my coursework knowing that this might be ending I need a transition plan Um, so I was lucky to have good mentors to kind of tell me hey you can be doing this on the side while still trying to pursue your dream kind of that plan a versus plan b mentality again from college but I want to come back because that's an important point you and of course it's a tribute to you that you were preparing um but i think people don't understand about um about the transition when it's not necessarily your choice in our last segment let's delve into that a little bit and then talk a little more about what you're doing nowadays on after the glory this is gary stern with lucy saying and our guest mr jeff Locke. Hey, this is Lucy Sang from Resiliency Coaching. I am a certified mental performance coach focused on working with athletes transitioning into life after the glory days of sports. I help like-minded people become high performers and thrive in all areas of life. My goal is to serve as your accountability partner and offer different perspectives as you make tough decisions. Learn more about me on Instagram at resiliency underscore coaching R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T-S-E-E underscore coaching. And thanks for tuning in to After the Glory. This is Daryl Wayne here to talk to you about the co-creator and co-host of After the Glory, Woodland Hills lawyer Gary Stern. When Gary's not talking to elite athletes, you can usually find him doing what he's been doing for almost 45 years, navigating the world of government. 
As a college student and young professional, Gary helped folks deal with federal and state agencies through his work as a caseworker with a local congressman and state senator. That work prepared Gary for a career as a consumer lawyer. Today, Gary still helps people in all walks of life, but his passion nowadays is his service as a mediator, mostly in cases like the ones he's been handling for over four decades, where people have been injured in accidents or in connection with their employment. You can learn more about Stern Law, the law offices of Gary N. Stern at his website, www.sternlaw.org, that's S-T-E-R-N. Or you can call him at 818-710-2717, that's 818-710-2717. And we're back on After the Glory, uh, having a wonderful conversation with Jeff Locke, former UCLA and NFL punter. This is Gary Stern with uh, my co-host and partner, Lucy Singh. Jeff uh, is a financial planning associate now at Five Oceans Advisors. But I want to come back to, I think, one of the most important questions that we want to share with our audience, with our guests all throughout our uh, now five seasons of of shows. Um, It's pretty clear that something changed either in the NFL or with you in terms of skill set or in terms of what the NFL was looking for. And I imagine that like anything else in life, this is a form of rejection. It's not fun. It's, you know, the, the, the money is, is great in, in pro sports. How did you deal with the fact that your career was brought to a close, perhaps sooner than you would have liked it? How did you deal with that? How did you overcome whatever feeling of, you know, negative feelings and make it into a positive? I think what you're staring, staring away from there, Gary, was the D word, depression. And I think it happens with a lot of athletes, especially in the moment when every tryout you go to, every phone call you don't get back, it's pretty much saying you're not good enough to do what you used to do, right? It's a real thing. People go through that as they're being told, you can no longer be that person you used to be, which as you know, is like a godlike figure. Like I was one of 32 people in the world that did what I did at the level I did it at, right? It's only 32 punters at a time in the NFL. So like to come down from that, you go through, I would describe it as a complete mental roller coaster when you're coming down off of that and trying to figure out what's next. Am I good enough? When do I know to hang it up? Like these are the questions that just bounce around all day, every day. Yeah, let me, is it, is there politics involved? In other words, did the sport change? Were they, were the teams looking for something different? Um, uh, I have a feeling that it wasn't necessarily your punting ability. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like, so there was an injury also. So that's, it's always performance and injury. I always think of the two things, right? I had a small injury that just kind of lingered and lingered and lingered. But in all honesty, I made two mistakes when I was with the Vikings. One was I took the safe route of kind of punning how I always did in college because I knew it worked rather than trying to do the newer way the league was going to, right? So rather than taking the risk to try and put myself out there and do this new style, I decided to stay with what I was doing. My second mistake was that I stopped kicking off when I was with Minnesota, right? I just kept punting. When I went to the other teams after that, they wanted me to kick off again, and I was not the same guy I was in college. These are two things that I did to myself looking back that I could have really helped myself when I was going into that second contract. So the league did change. It's always progressing. There's always that next crop of really, really good players. I just didn't do a good enough job of keeping with that growth. 
Well, our listeners may be curious, and although we're not a between-the-lines show, what, what was the change? What was the nature of punting or kicking that changed uh, in your time? Yeah, so when I was in college and my first couple of years in the NFL, it was still all about hang time matching up with distance, right? And direction didn't matter, right? It was just hit a high ball close to five seconds, 45 to 50-ish yards so we can cover it. As I started every single year, I got more and more about distance to the sidelines, mm-hmm. right? So you could get bigger net punts, punt after return, and help your cover guys by having the sideline as an extra defender, essentially. And I was way too late to try and make that change in my own game. And frankly, probably too scared of messing it up. I was so comfortable with what I'd done for so many years. And it caught up to me later in my career. Well, you know, to me, uh, that career you had is something to be incredibly proud of. And whatever changes were happening, uh, you obviously conquered the field while preparing yourself for a life of meaning and purpose Uh, when the career was over. Tell us about being a financial planning associate. Uh, How is that going? And where do you see yourself in another 10, 20 years in the field? Gary, I'm going to quickly jump in. I just want to acknowledge what Jeff just revealed to us. It shows a lot of maturity and growth. I think that's part of the reflection that many of our athletes go through when they are transitioning outside of the glory days of sports in which some are not very successful at going back and looking at the things that they could have done, but not giving yourself too hard of a time to where it, you know, halts you from pursuing a different future and another world of success that Jeff is obviously, you know, proving to us now that he was able to experience being an elite athlete and now is becoming an elite professional in another way. And I imagine the competition still resonates the, you know, wanting to be the best of the best still resonates the discipline, the learning, the industry still resonates. And that's something that, you know, unfortunately a lot of athletes may not allow themselves to experience. So Jeff, I want to acknowledge that and give you the mic to tell us more about what it is that you are up to now. Thank you, Lucy. It took me a couple, it took me stepping away from the game to be able to reflect back in that manner. And it just, it takes time, time away. But the way I, like you said, I kind of use that as fuel for my fire as now I'm a financial planner, right? I was an athlete perfecting punting for 15 years. And I have 30 years to perfect being the best financial planner I can possibly be. And it really, really drives me to think about it that way. One thing I learned, like I just talked about, is I'm going to take all the risks I got to take right now to be at the front of this field, not do things that everyone's always done in my field. I'm going to be out there experimenting, doing brand new things. Um, And one of the beauties of being an athlete, a pro athlete, I kind of have this insight into what an, a pro athlete now needs in terms of their financial services, their financial planning, what they actually go through emotionally, physically, in their family environment while they play. So that's my desire is to really, really change the narrative around pro athletes going broke, being in financial distress um, by kind of what I help athletes become off the field. Jeff, may I ask if that risk entails cryptocurrency? <laughs> Not risk in terms of assets. Um, 
I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. Like I have that conversation a lot with our clients. It's crypto. How much should it really be as part of all of your net worth? Like the risk associated with it. We have that conversation all day, but I guess that actually is a pretty good example of not just thinking of the old ways of investing and managing money, but being meeting clients where they actually are, I think is key. What they're comfortable with. Yeah. Do you, yep. do you think this is a sea change in athletics in general is uh, elite athletes who are preparing themselves in new ways? I think so. You're seeing so many athletes now that are doing endorsement deals and getting actually equity in the company they're endorsing, not just getting paid a 1099 kind of income stipend for what they're doing. I think athletes are definitely wising up to what their value is. In the college space, the whole NIL thing is mm -hmm. happening, right? We're seeing really just a small microcosm of what's happened in pro sports for so many years. Um, so I think there is a giant change in how athletes are using their entire fame, celebrity, and intellect to help them on and off the field. And Jeff, you have shown us that in these few minutes we've had together. I can't thank you enough. Lucy, I'm sure you join me in thanking Mr. Jeff Locke, former Bruin punter, former NFL punter, and now an elite financial planning associate at Five Oceans Advisors. Um, on behalf of Lucy and our team, who we'll thank in just a moment on our uh, uh, closing, uh, until next time on After the Glory, this is Gary Stern and Lucy Singh. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Go Bruins. Lucy and I hope you enjoyed this edition of After the Glory. As we leave you until next time, we want to thank our team. Our producer, Mark Allen, executive producer from Podclips, Mike Anderson, and our sound engineer and editor, the insane Daryl Wayne. We are also grateful for music by T. Dan Hofstede. And as we close out this episode of After the Glory, we honor our guest with our theme song, written and sung by my brother in baseball, T. Dan, the master of music from the islands and the slack key guitar. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and athletic. Living the dream on a shooting star. Hometown crowd cheering what you are. Living large and riding high. Razzling and dazzling across the sky. Back in the day, so young and strong. Work or play, you can do no wrong. But when that ride is through, what you gonna do? Hey, hey, what's your story? What you gonna do after the glory? Step back and take inventory. Checking out new territory. Not every day will be congratulatory. Hopefully, you're still. Come on down.